Welcome to the I2 show, where we open your eyes with new perspectives. Today we're talking with Terry McDougall. She began her career as a marketing manager, now turned professional coach for executives and leaders, with endeavors in her own podcast and about marketing, and a book called Winning the Game of Work, exploring how to find satisfaction in your career. Thanks for being on the I2 show today, Terry. Julia, it's so great to be here. Um, so I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what your education was like, and those sort of things. Um, okay, well, I had maybe a little bit of an unusual upbringing in terms of my dad worked for the telephone company and he was a blue collar worker and he worked on these construction crews at the time that I was growing up. They were um, traveling throughout the whole southeast of the United States burying the long distance cables which used to be strung up on telephone poles. So it was like pretty big construction projects and so um, between uh, the time I was born and by the time I was 11, I lived in 40 different places. Oh, my so, goodness. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, the majority of those were actually before I started school. Um, but once I started school, I went to a different school every year until I was in fifth grade. Once I got into school, you know, I went in completely different states, like kindergarten for, in Virginia, first grade in Pennsylvania, second grade in Ohio, third grade back in Virginia. Um, and then finally, we settled in Delaware when I was in fifth grade. And uh, that was, it's kind of like a small, small town. And it was, I mean, first of all, like I was always the new girl every place that I moved to because, uh, but especially in Delaware, because I think just like not a lot of outside people moved there because it was such a small, small town that we moved to. So I was known as the new girl for more than a couple of years. <laughs> um, but uh, my parents got divorced then. Um, but I, I ended up living in Delaware until I got out of high school. And my dad still lives there. Um, but, you know, in terms of education, I graduated from high school in Delaware, lived actually near the beach. Um, so that was kind of a fun place to, to grow up to be able to go to the beach. And, um, and then I went to college in Virginia. I went to uh, the College of William and Mary, which is one of the oldest schools. It's actually the second oldest college in America. And I um, wow. studied economics. Yeah, it was actually chartered by, it's called William and Mary because it was, it was char chartered by the King and Queen of England in the 1600s. So oh my goodness. pretty crazy. That's yeah. an amazing place to be getting your education. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think about like places in England that have been there for, you know, many, many hundreds and maybe even thousands of years. But uh, here in America, like a, a school that's 350 plus years old is like ancient. So, uh, well, in Australia, <laughs> we have our buildings that are maybe 50 years old. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think it's funny because I moved from the East Coast, which is like, you know, the colonial area of America to the Midwest, where I, I live outside Chicago now. And everything is so much newer here. I mean, you know, maybe it's like 100 years old and people are like, oh, you know, this log cabin, this is like our, you know, historical thing. And it was built in like, you know, 1860 or something. And they have stuff in the on the East Coast that, you know, from the 1600s. So. So all relative. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast and your career a bit in a second. But in one of the first episodes of your podcast, you mentioned how you watched like Bewitched when you were younger. <laughs> And that's yeah. actually how you ended up getting into marketing. Um, it was that like, because was that, what was that sort of like for you having that as like an influence? Well, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, I grew up on like all the reruns from the 1960s and Bewitched was one of them. And I loved it because, uh, you know, they, the, for people who haven't seen Bewitched, it's about a witch who marries like a regular guy and her husband, worked in an advertising agency and, you know, when you're a kid, especially when you grow up in a, 
you know, blue collar background where, you know, my dad was like an electrician and a welder and stuff like that. My mom was just a stay at home mom. Uh, at that time, she did go back to work later, but um, you, you don't get exposed to very much. And, you know, when I was really young, I was like, okay, I either want to be an artist or a ballerina. But I think at some point I realized that like, those aren't jobs that, you know, you can just go out and get, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I also knew I was really creative. And so I don't know how I put two and two together that advertising was sort of a creative field, but I just remember that was the first time that I realized like, oh, people actually get paid to like, you know, make the, the ads and magazines and make the commercials on TV. And so I don't know, that just stuck in my brain, like, oh, that's a, that's a professional job that I could have. Um, but when I got out of college, I had, I actually moved to Boston. My boyfriend's, uh, my boyfriend from college, he was from Massachusetts and, you know, I grew up in an area where there really weren't, I would not move back there because there weren't really professional jobs that could be had. It was like a rural area where they had a, they had a lot of, um, like it was like a resort area, you know? So if you were there in the summer, you could wait on tables or, you know, yeah, rent out umbrellas on the beach or something like that, but not a lot of professional jobs, maybe real estate. I wasn't interested in that, but I moved to Boston and I had a hard time getting any interviews with advertising agencies, but I did get, um, my first job was with a publishing company and I, it was a, um, company that published three trade publications, meaning that, you know, they're B2B publications. And, uh, I worked in the advertising sales department as an assistant to all the salespeople. So I was seeing advertising from the flip side of the table. I was talking to people at advertising like agencies. Like that real because, firsthand experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was the person who got all the artwork in from either, I mean, some people would just place their advertising directly themselves, but a lot of them work through advertising agencies. And so I was talking to them and I really got an understanding of what the whole ecosystem was like. Um, and it was great. It was really a great first job. Um, I did it for about a year and a half. Um, but, and I can, if you want me to, I can tell the story of how I ended up leaving there. It's kind of it's a little bit interesting. Yeah, no, that would be great. <laughs> um, I just wanted to sort of like say that it is really interesting to hear how that sort of you picked up on that influence from a TV show in an area where marketing wasn't really big at a time when marketing wasn't really overstated as much as it is today. I think these days there's so much attention given to marketing and, and marketing media makes up um, more of what a company actually does because that's sort of the only way to, to blow through all of the noise. Um, yeah, it's true. So what sort of was that experience like before you get to the story about how you left that first job? What was that experience like of like transitioning with marketing as a professional? Oh, you mean like after I left that place or, or going first going into um, like going into it? Well, I mean, I was just, you know, I was 22 years old and just bright eyed and bushy tailed. I mean, I. I just was in there like a little sponge absorbing everything that was going on around me because I didn't really understand even how magazines worked. And the magazines that we had were what you call controlled circulation, which means that they're free to uh, recipients who meet certain criteria. So they actually didn't pay to subscribe, but if they had certain job titles, they could receive the magazine for free. So it's a way of actually building an audience with people that you want to get in front of. And, you know, it's a hundred percent financed by the advertisers, wow. you know, whereas in most, most public uh, magazines today, it's like, you know, I subscribe to Vanity Fair. So I pay to subscribe to that, but then all of the advertisers pay Vanity Fair to be in their publication so that people who subscribe will have eyes on it. Right. But in and it's not uncommon in B2B publications for uh, them to be what they call controlled circulation, like it's free if you meet certain criteria. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like learning things like that. I was learning about, you know, just how the business worked. I was learning about how do you put a magazine together? Um, our company also put on um, trade shows or, you know, exhibitions or conferences. And I didn't at first understand like why a publishing company would also put on conferences. But then 
as time went on, I realized like, oh, well, they've already cultivated this audience of people who subscribe to the publication that are interested in these particular topics. And so it's just another way to get people who want to sell to these people, you know, to bring them together in an environment. Um, you know, if you're doing it in a magazine, you're you're getting in front of them through the advertising, but if you put on a conference, you are actually getting together with them face to face. But it's basically this, it's the same thing. And so, you know, I suppose that I just sort of got this, I mean, really just by being immersed in it and bit by bit starting to absorb and understand what was going on, like what is marketing, right? Marketing is getting messages in front of people with the intention of influencing them to take a certain action. And most of the time, uh, the action is to, you know, buy from us, right? Buy from whoever the advertiser is. But, you know, there's a lot of other reasons why um, there's a lot of other actions that advertisers may want to influence. It could be like a public service announcement, like wash your hands or wear a mask. Or That's a really you know. interesting way to, to break it down. I think that that makes it so much I mean, I have very little experience in marketing, so that makes it something that I can actually like connect to because it is, as you said, it is very much like you see sort of the pushing the sales and buy this, buy that. But it is true, like it is um, a communication platform and you have that real unique experience of the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what did happen at that first job? <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, I, I was really keen to, to move up in my career. You know, I was so excited to like get a job that was paying me more than the $5 an hour I made at the library in, in college. And um, I really liked my boss. He was the head of sales. And he uh, had told me we were, we were going to a conference and he had told me before the conference, uh, we get back from the conference. I want to promote you. I want to promote you to be the marketing assistant. And there was like a director of marketing. I was going to work with her and, you know, work closely with the sales department and everything. And I was so excited. And we had gotten back from the conference, but I, we hadn't yet had that conversation. And unfortunately, um, the, per the woman who owned the company had been running it herself directly as the president. And I think she was getting sort of tired of being in the day-to-day -day. so she hired a president to come in and when the new president came in he put a lot of new rules in place about things like you know what what was the hard and fast deadline for getting new advertisements in any month's issue because my boss had always like sort of pushed the envelope you know even if it was past the deadline he'd go and sort of bully the people in the production department to add another ad to a certain month's issue um, but you can understand that at some point they've got to close the book so that they can put it together and get it printed. But um, there was a conflict over that. And my boss went in to talk to the new president. And, you know, one side says that he quit. The other side said he was fired. But hmm. he left the company. He was like walked out the door that day. And this was before I, you know, officially got my promotion and so a few weeks later they hired a new head of sales and i had a conversation with him about the fact that i had been promised this promotion and he he was like hmm, i'll take it under advisement you know kind of he wasn't oh, promising yeah. anything and he uh ended up posting the position and he interviewed me for it but he didn't promote me he hired somebody from outside and I was mm. devastated. I just felt like, you know, I put in a year and a half and, you know, I've been typing people's letters, answering the phone. I was administrative and I had a college degree and I felt like I was ready to move up to, you know, a more professional type position. And uh, I was so disappointed that I just started thinking about what did I want to do? And I actually ended up quitting that job without having another job. Well, I did have I actually went out and got two part-time jobs. I did telephone polling at night and I did waitressing during the day and uh, just like worked really hard and saved my money. And I ended up moving back to Washington, DC where a lot of my friends from college had settled. And so, um, and I actually got a job with the publishing company there uh, in the marketing department. And so it worked out, but I had a few months of, um, 
you know, uncertainty and really hustling. This but I just, sounds like the, the basis of the great like TV movies, like the Devil Wears Prada <laughs> and those sort yeah, of like exactly. working you to the bone bosses. And then like, you just got to make the decisions that are right for you. I definitely understand why that's like an interesting career, like story that you have. You have to believe in yourself. I mean, I just decided I was going to bet on myself that I wasn't going to leave my destiny in the hands of this guy who, you know, it's funny. I actually wrote about that in my book and, you know, my, my, I don't know, understanding of it is that now from now I didn't understand then I was really upset then, but now I understand that, you know, the guy before the new sales manager got fired. So why would he say, oh, well, the guy that got fired wanted to promote this person, right? He probably looked at it and said, you know, I'm going to pave my own path. And it doesn't include, you know, taking pages out of the playbook of the guy that got fired. It makes sense. But I was just the person that got penalized for that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that you can reflect on it in that way, having the experience that led you to the career that you're satisfied with now and bringing mm -hmm. your book into the sort of segueing into the new career path that you took. Um, so you're doing coaching now. Did When you left that job, you worked a bit longer in marketing. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I worked for decades longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, the stories I'm telling you are from the 1980s, which is, I'm sure, way, way before you were ever even born. But um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I worked, I worked for 30 years in marketing. And um, I, I, uh, you know, at some point went back to school and got an MBA. And the bulk of my career was in financial services. I worked for two large national banks here in the US in marketing. And the last 12 years of my career, I worked, I got recruited to a bank here in Chicago. And I came in to head marketing for one of the businesses. And in the 12 years that I was there, I moved around. I, I actually headed marketing for three different businesses during that time. And I also did a year where I headed the event marketing department for the whole company. Wow. So I've done a lot of marketing. And then um, in 2017, I made a decision to leave and uh, get a certification in coaching. And so... You know, I still I still have my hand in the corporate world, but it's just really through my clients. You know, I'm I'm uh, working with people who are what I call successful but not satisfied to help them um, be happier as well as be successful in their jobs. That's a really big part from what I've seen. It's obviously like that's what your whole book is about. It's a lot on different um, things that you talk shows that you've done and different like mottos that you um, images that you that you post out uh, is the idea of being successful, but not satisfied. Did you experience that same sort of success, not satisfaction? Yeah, I did. I mean, I would say that for the most part, the career path that I was on was a good one for me. Like marketing gave me the, um, I was paid to be creative, which is great because I am a creative person. Um, and I would say I went through, you know, ups and downs. There were times that were just ideal. There are times that I wish that I could just be parachuted back into that moment in my career because there are seasons where everything is perfect. Like all the people you work with are great. You're doing such fantastic work, but it always changes. Like things evolve. And then all of a sudden you look and you're like, ah, what happened? It was so great. Right. But, um, I definitely always wanted to move ahead faster than what I was moving ahead. And I think that, that, uh, and also a lot of times I didn't know what to do differently. I mean, that first, that example, my first job, I mean, I was working hard there and for me to be so disappointed by the outcome of, you know, paying my dues, I really didn't know what to do differently besides, I guess, doing what I did, which was quitting and going and finding greener, greener pastures for myself. But yes, absolutely. I coach people now who are like I used to be. <laughs> um, and I know that feeling of just, um, you know, no matter how hard you work, feeling like, oh, I can't get to where I want to get to. But what I realize now is that, um, you know, a lot of people who are high achievers, who are going to be successful at any cost, that 
if they feel like they're not getting the thing that they want, a lot of times they'll double down and just do more of what they've been doing. They'll, they'll work harder, they'll go faster, they'll take on more projects. And a lot of times all that does is just exacerbates the original problem. Um, and what my book is really about is rather than zooming in to be like, I'm gonna do more, it's really about zooming out and understanding the playing field because work is a game, you know, and it, I know people will be like, oh, it says, you know, work serious. That's how you, you know, get paid. That's how you survive. But if you can step back from it and sort of remove yourself somewhat from being in the middle of the scrum to, to being able to pull back and say, like, what's going on around me? And like, what, what can I have influence on here? That's how you start to be strategic about how you approach work and uh, how you approach your career. And, uh, you know, nobody really teaches you that. I mean, some people are lucky that maybe they have a mentor or their parents, you know, kind of know how things operate and they advise them. But, you know, I, I didn't learn that before I went into the workplace. I did um, have some good mentors along the way who taught me different lessons. Um, but it really made me look differently at what was going on around me. And once I started doing that, it's it's really sort of like once you pull back the curtain on what's really going on, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like I, I've talked with a lot of people and it's sort of like the um, the Matrix, uh, the Matrix <laughs> movies where like on the Great surface, analogy. it's like, oh, this is what it looks like. But underneath there, you see all the code and you're like, oh, OK, now I see what's going on behind the scenes. These are such powerful insights. I definitely I'm taking this advice so deeply because the way that you're talking about um, the kind of hidden aspects of the workforce and getting caught up, you know, we definitely get pumped with this information that just like work hard and everything will come to you, but you're not really taught on like how and wh which direction to work hard in. And it's definitely yeah. a lot more than just like putting your effort. Cause like you can work yourself to the bone at being I guess anything but if you don't have yeah. like a natural attachment or a, a talent for it it really is so hard to try and make yourself stand out and yeah absolutely well I, I just to add on to that I mean so many people um, when they've got their to-do list they look at everything on the to-do list with equal weight and you know to your point like the modern workplace will allow you to work 24 7 365 if you let it right and so if you're looking at your to-do list and you're like oh my gosh i still have more stuff on my to-do list i have to keep doing this i have to work hard that's not the right way to approach it it really is to look and say what's the most important work that i have to get done where am i going to have the biggest impact and that's that's one of the things that puzzled me for a long time is that i'd see people getting promoted and i'd be like I know that they skip meetings and they don't return calls or emails. And I, I do not understand why that person's getting promoted. But that was from my perspective. That wasn't from like the head of the department's perspective. They were probably looking at them and saying that person is focusing exactly on what I want them to focus on. And they're making an impact on that particular important thing versus like, did they return everybody's emails? Right. And we yeah. do have to prioritize. I mean, a lot of times when you're early in your career, yeah, you're just doing what people need you to do. But as you rise up, you're going to have more discretion around what you focus your energy on. And it's important to, you know, have the fortitude and the foresight to, to focus on the right things. So you're having the desired impact. That's you know, such a, a lot of people another that, yeah. amazing piece of advice. Um, to prioritize because again it's not something that you really think about I guess until you even get into the workforce and I know for me a lot of my friends a lot of the listeners of my podcast are in that same position we're all just like finishing our undergrad going into first positions and these aren't mm -hmm. the sort of things that you start to think about um, and yeah with coaching like these are a lot of things that you help others do what made you first of all, like get into coaching and actually start to realize these aspects that sort of dig beneath the kind of surface of working mm -hmm. life. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I've been on a lot of podcasts and I've had a lot of people ask me about like 
you know, how'd you get into coaching? And the more that I've thought about it, the more I realize that I think it's something that goes back a lot further than what I first thought. I'm the oldest of four girls in my family. So I'm the big sister. And so I think that that was just sort of part of my role in the family was to help my siblings. And so that's something that I've always liked to do. Even when I was in school, if I, if I understood a concept that the teacher was teaching and I could help one of my classmates to understand it better. I was always happy to do that. And then it was just something that I always liked. I like to help people with their problems, like to strategize and be like, okay, like, what should you do in this situation? I just always did that naturally as a friend and, you know, classmate, whatever. And, um, and then when I kind of hit a hurdle at one point in my career that I wanted to get over and I wasn't able to, uh, at least not initially, I realized that I could use some help. And so I actually hired an executive coach or career coach. And she really helped me so much to sort of step back and look at myself, um, you know, maybe through more clear eyes, you know, more objectively, I suppose, and figure out like, how do I need to show up? And so after experiencing coaching and recognizing like how I showed up in the workplace after I had coaching. I just knew the value of it. And as a leader, as a manager, you know, marketing director, I uh, always spent a lot of time coaching my staff because, you know, when you work in marketing, you've got to work with a lot of different people in the company. And there's, there's just a lot of issues. Like people always want things to happen more quickly or they don't give you stuff that they need or they're being critical of some campaign that we did and to keep people in the right mindset so that they could be productive and not, you know, get sucked into, you know, feeling depressed because somebody didn't like an ad that they put together or something like that. That's, that's a lot of what I did. And I think people appreciated it. I saw that people were able to perform better. And, you know, I, I'd heard from people that they thought I was good at it. So that got me thinking like, okay, I've experienced it. I've also coached as a, a leader. And I, you know, I knew that coaching was something that could keep my hand in the corporate world without me being, you know, working for a company, you know, I could still mm-hmm. sort of engage in the the fun of strategizing without having to be in the middle of all of the, you know, red tape and drama or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. So you mentioned earlier that you, as you sort of went through your marketing career, you had that like almost that feeling of happiness, but not entirely. Do you think coaching has sort of completed that circle for you of your satisfaction in your career? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel, I feel very fulfilled. I mean, it's not like I didn't feel fulfilled at times. I I would say it was sort of like I was explaining earlier, like went through seasons you know, mm-hmm. and um, so sometimes things were fantastic, but then anytime you work in a, in a business, things change, right? Like, very dynamic boss system. Or, yeah, it really is a dynamic system. And, you know, the only, the only constant in the workplace is yourself and your own attitude. And I really think that that's what coaching is all about is helping people to recognize the control that they have over their situation and learning to, you know, be conscious and intentional about the actions that they take and to not allow too much energy to get drained by feeling like a victim, because it's very easy to do that. And, you know, if you've worked anywhere, even if it's like at the, you know, corner ice cream shop, um, you know, people can feel like a victim, like, oh, I wanted Friday off and the boss didn't give it to me. And woe is me, right? Instead of just being yeah. like, well, maybe next time I need to ask for it more in advance, mm-hmm. or I just need to accept that's part of working. Um, you know, the more that we can retain our energy and focus it on productive action, the better we're going to be. But so often we just like let our energy drip out by being angry or frustrated or, you know, or feeling helpless. And, you know, if we can plug up those holes and just be like, okay, can I accept this situation? What can I do about it? I mean, I guess that's sort of like what happened for me at that first job. I looked and I said, you know, I don't like this situation. I didn't get promoted and I have a job, but I don't want to be an administrative assistant for another year or two. 
you know, so what can I do about it? Uh, what I figured I could do about it was quit. <laughs> sort of, yeah, you're yeah. opening up your options. Um, as right. I mentioned to you before, I am currently doing a course at my university on coaching. So it's really interesting mm -hmm. to hear this. We've been learning a lot about like the grow models and self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. what, from a professional standpoint, what is like a typical coaching session or coaching program for you how do you start build that report what are things that are like mm -hmm. top of your head when you're listening to somebody yeah well I mean most of the time most people that I work with want to be more effective in the role that they're in you know maybe they've gotten promoted and they're saying oh my gosh I'm working harder and I'm stressed out and I have to have these difficult conversations with people and I don't feel comfortable or you know, I'm, I'm doing more work than I did whenever I was just an individual contributor. And I really try to help them get clarity on what their goal is. Because a lot of times when people come into coaching, they are very in touch with what their pain is, right? That they're like, oh, you know, or maybe they're at a crossroads in their career. And they're like, I'm not sure if this job is right for me anymore. Whatever it is, I try to get them, you know, I'll listen to what the issues are and what their pain points are, but I try to eventually get them to flip it to say, okay, I've heard about what you don't like. Let's talk about what you want, right? Let's get clarity on what it is that you want because you know we can, we have to be moving towards something. We can't be running away from something. Um, it's fine to process those emotions, but we got to get clarity on the goal. And then uh, we have to put a roadmap together. What are the action steps between where you are and where you want to be? What steps would you need to take to make that happen? Um, a lot of times as we're putting together a roadmap, we'll identify things that they need, right? There might be skill gaps, there might be you know, knowledge gaps that they, you know, I don't know how to do this. I wanna become this type of role, but I don't know what I need to do there, right? So we figure out like, okay, well, how can we fill those gaps in? Can you take a certificate program to get, you know, more up to date in digital marketing? Um, can you find somebody that's in that role that you want to be in and ask them how they got there, right? Like we start to fill those gaps in. Um, and the, um, it, I think that for a lot of people, it's very, very helpful just to sort of like get all of the stuff that's in their head out into the open, right? Because once I, you know, ask them a lot of questions and we start getting clarity on it, I can kind of hold a mirror up for them to reflect back to them. This is what I've heard you say, you know, this is, and I ask a lot of questions to help them get more and more clarity. But, you know, to me, I feel like the three, the three-legged stool of coaching is getting clarity on the goal, um, shifting to a positive mindset that what you want is possible that is critical it's critical and so often people are like i want to do this but i'll probably never get it because i don't have an mba or i'll probably never get it because they never hire anybody you know that's under the age of 30 whatever people tell themselves all these things to protect themselves but you have to shift to that mindset to say i think that that goal is possible and then the third thing is that you have to take action Right. So, so that's what coaching is all about. That's yeah. Um, that's a great way to sort of break it down. And what you're saying about making this sort of like goal accessible is a really interesting point. I've actually been dealing a lot with this in my particular course and just like in a few other aspects of my life. But one quote that I remember a lot is, you know, we often look at our goals as on a pedestal. And it's once mm -hmm. you put it in your same playing field that you can actually mm -hmm. achieve it. And I think that that's a really mm -hmm. great way to um, understand how coaching really helps people to get there. So um, also without revealing too much or compromising any confidentiality, what's a really interesting or inspiring or, or a rare story that you've had from a client that you've coached? If you Well, I'll... Yeah, I, this story is in my book and it's, you know, it's protected and turn, you know, it's anonymous, anonymized, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> I worked with somebody who had worked, um, she'd worked for about 20 years at a company and she had m moved her way up from individual contributor to be a team leader where she had, I think like seven or eight people reporting to her and they all did the same thing. She was sort of like a player coach. 
And anytime somebody would sort of fall behind on a project, she would jump in, you know, cause she did the same thing. She would just take it off their plate and, you know, she would just make sure the whole team was moving forward. Well, she did such a great job at that, that they actually promoted her to be the department head. So she went from managing a team of eight to managing a department of 50 and it was multiple teams. And when, uh, when I first met her, she had been in that new role for about six months. And I think in our first session, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm working like 70 hours a week. I'm actually considering asking a boss to promote me or demote me back to my old position because I can't keep this up. You know, she was oh married, gosh. she had two kids and, you know, she was just exhausting herself, taking work home on the weekend. She, you know, her husband would take the kids to soccer and um, she would have to stay home and work. It just, it was miserable. And I said, well, first of all, don't ask to be demoted. We let's see what we can do here. And what we realized, and this is quite common is that when people get promoted, they often do not promote themselves mentally. She was basically doing her old job or she was doing her new job the way she used to do her old job, you know? So, so maybe that was doable to jump in when you have eight people. But when you have 50 people, you know, you just can't do that. It's not scalable. Yeah. And so we we started putting what I call or we looked for the leverage points within her environment. Like because when you get promoted, you have so much more power to determine how are things going to be done? What do you work on? So we did things like, um, you know, sh more delegation. Because like it's very common where people get promoted and they're like, well, it's just quicker for me to do it. Well, that's fine. If it's quicker for you to do it when you have a team of seven, that's fine, right? You can probably do that. Yeah. When you have 50, you can't do 50 people's work, right? And that's so not quicker. <laughs> yeah, we really examined like, okay, what it what do you need to do in order to feel comfortable to delegating, right? Do you need to train people more? Do you need to put you know systems in place? So she did more of that. Um, this really simple thing, this is one of the first things that we had her do, which was close her door to her office two hours a day because she had believed in the open door policy. So therefore people were coming in her office constantly all day long and she never had time to actually work on her own work. So that was a lot of what she took home on the weekend was all of her work that she never got done during the week. And she was at first was really worried that like, oh, well, you know, I want to be accessible. What are people going to think if they find a closed door? And I said, just tell them like, look, I need to get my work done. I'm going to be closing my door. You can email me. You can come to me before or after. But what she found was that people, you know, she was the path of least resistance. And so people would just come to her with really simple things that they could either figure out themselves or go to somebody else to do. And so when her door was closed, they figured out Oh, I'll just go, I, you know, she's not available. I'll go to somebody else and ask them if they can help me. She also put systems in place um, in terms of um, like, for example, she had a report that she needed to turn in every week. And there were several of her managers that were giving her input for the report and they were giving it to her in like all different formats. And so she actually determined what format she needed and she gave it to everyone and said, give it to me in this format. So she could just sort of cut and paste what they did and put it in. But, you know, it's really thinking outside the box to say like, what do I have control over here? You know, she mm -hmm. was the boss, but she hadn't like mentally promoted herself to realize like, what do I have control over here? And what can I institute that's gonna make my job easier? Um, and I, I think a lot of times too, it's just, you know, that mental promotion of yourself to say, I'm the boss and it's okay for me to exert my authority. You know, in fact, that's yeah. what's expected. And the more that somebody who is in leadership exerts their leadership, the better everything's going to run. And so by the time we ended up uh, finished working together, um, she was down to like 55 hours a week, which, you know, that's still a lot, but it's, you know, basically if, you, if you think about it, right, you know, she, if she was cut 15 hours, that means that she wasn't working on the weekend, yeah, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, so that's just sort of an example. And that's a, that's a big success story. And I actually run into that issue a lot with, um, I mean, not only newly promoted managers, I mean, I've, I'm actually working with somebody right now who's been in her role for years and uh, her, her boss actually 
um, paid for her to get coaching because mm -hmm. she felt like she wasn't really using her time and, and the staff as efficiently as she could. And a lot of times people just feel like almost guilty about delegating. And the irony of that is a lot of times when we don't delegate and we don't challenge people on our staff, they actually get, you know, almost disengaged because they feel like, oh, I'm not really needed or this person doesn't really trust me or we're not giving them opportunities for growth. So, so it's yeah, just it's a matter of like power balance when you yeah. were that person who was delegated to and then you become the person who's delegating right this is such an interesting story for interconnectedness because the way that you talked about breaking down everything to I mean even like formatting the end of week report mm -hmm. and how that ultimately affected her mental promotion of herself I think that's right. such a amazing way that coaching can influence your life yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to say like, what do I have control over here? And, um, you know, I think that a lot of times people can, I mean, a lot of times people who, especially people who are humble and who've been really hardworking, when they get promoted, they feel like, oh, well, this isn't fair for me to ask other people to do this. But we've got to shift our mindset with that because most people want to grow and learn at work. And if we jump in and say, oh, it's just faster for me to do it. That's, that's sort of um, disenfranchising people. It's not giving them the opportunity to learn and to grow. And I tell a lot of my clients who are in leadership positions, I'll say, listen, you can only rise as fast as the people underneath of you uh, can grow, right? Like you, if you're attached to the day-to-day -day operations and you want to keep your hand in it, you're limiting yourself in terms of how much you can grow because when you get into management, it's not how much you do. It's, and it's not like what you, it's not about like what you do. It's about how you get stuff done. You know, how you're yeah, entrusted with resources. You. Yes. You're in, and you're entrusted with resources. You're given people, you're given budget, you know, maybe other resources within the organization and you're going to be judged on how, effectively you use all of those resources that you've been given and there's no leverage if you're doing it yourself that's a one-to-one -one leverage ratio you know but if you can you know if you're given 10 people and you can really use those 10 people to the fullest you know that's a 10 to 1 leverage right you can get so much more done and that's what it's all about it's like how much can you get done it's not how much can you do yeah Wow. So you're really, you've jumped on into the coaching um, only in the past couple of years, but you've really made it your own. And I want to turn a little bit to your book. So your book is um, the game of, oh my God, I just it's had called the winning the game of work, winning the game winning of work. Game I just had the title yeah. written down. <laughs> yeah. um, and so you talk a little bit about your experience into realizing um, that difference between success and um the oh what was the word Fulf not fulfillment well satisfaction satisfaction yeah. oh my goodness yes. uh-huh <laughs> it's it's a nearly midnight here for me so no. I think my brain is slowly no, that's slowing okay. down um yeah so can you tell us a little bit like without giving too much away because I think I'd be an well, interesting gosh, read it's yeah there's so much in the book I don't think I could give it all away I honestly <laughs> if I'd known the whole time I was writing it I had no idea how many like Microsoft Word pages would equal a book page and so uh, the book is 380 pages I could have literally wow. had two books um, out of it <laughs> but I didn't know any better I didn't know any better um but anyway um you know, the book is really about a lot of the lessons that I learned in my career. I, when I left my job, um, I blogged for two years just on different lessons and situations that I encountered and stuff that I learned about it. And somewhere along the way, somebody said to me, like, you probably have enough words for a book, you know, from your, your blog post. So that, that was sort of like the seed of the book, but it's just, you know, situations like how to deal with a bad boss like I tell the story of like the most horrendous boss that I had and all the lessons that I learned from it um, I tell the story of that that first that huge disappointment with my first job um, and not getting promoted um, uh, I 
actually interviewed a lot of people about their careers also, because I think that it can be very easy when you're, you know, early or even mid-career to look at people who are in positions of leadership and who are, you know, quote unquote successful and say, oh, well, you know, they're just lucky or they just got on the magic, you know, elevator that takes you to this, you know, C-suite floor. But I had met plenty of people who I knew a bit about the background of their careers and like the bumpy roads that they had, that they had traveled to get to where they were. And so I wanted to tell people's career stories so that other people would be like, oh, okay. So like, if, if you feel like you've hit a dead end in your career, don't like just settle and be like, you know, oh my gosh, I guess this is the best I can do. Realize that, you know, you can pave your own path and you can find your way and maybe, you know, even you've gotten fired or you've, you know, switched careers or something like that, that you can find a way to a place where it's satisfying and you have success. I mean, that's what I'm all about is just helping people, you know, not only be successful in terms of like, oh, how much money do you make? Or like, what's your title or what company do you work for? But that feeling of fulfillment and feeling like I have enough space to pour energy into my job and be successful there, but also to feel fulfilled as a human being. And it's doable. It really is doable. But we have to, you know, step back and realize that we are playing a game and learn the rules of the game, learn how to strategize, learn, you know, learn to be a player. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I actually even talk about the players. (laughs) There are a lot of people that just get, you know, they're smart about the politics and they, you know, they're, they're kind of slippery and somehow they fool fool the people above them. They don't do a lot of work and they fool the people above them and they get promoted and stuff like that. But I, I tell people like, if you can, you know, be a hard worker and learn how to play the game, you're pretty much unstoppable, right? Because you will, you will be able to leverage your hard work to get ahead if you can do both of those things. I've only flicked through a few pages myself, but I am really interested to to read the rest of it because even the way that you're talking about it now, it's so real. And one of the things that stands out to me, and even just from talking to you for this past half hour, everything you say is so applying your experience and those sort of stories that are almost sensationalized into actual skills. So you're not just talking about, you know, the person who quit their job and started a new career path, but actually like the skills and the strategies for finding that, which I think is really inspiring and, uh, and, and very different as well. Yeah, it's, I, I did, pack a lot into the book and I didn't talk about this, but at the end of every chapter, there are questions for, you know, introspection for each person that's reading it to help them, you know, think about themselves and apply the lessons in that chapter to their own career. And, you know, I I think that one, one thing that I would love to share with your listeners is the fact that you know, there is no sort of preordained path to quote unquote success, that we each are going to walk our own paths. And each of us are going to determine what the definition of success is for us. And that's also something that I'm trying to encourage people, you know, people who read the book to realize that, you know, you've got special gifts, and you've got your own, you know, ambitions. And if you step into that and you really believe in yourself and you learn some of these rules of how the you know corporate workplace works that you'll be happy because you'll be walking your own authentic path and you'll know what to do to sort of avoid the pitfalls and and so forth but you know to me i think satisfaction is about walking a path that's really authentic to you that yeah, that that distinction between success and satisfaction, um, and also the fact we talked a little bit, touched on a bit earlier, sort of that difference, like not necessarily fulfilled, but satisfaction, because you can be fulfilled from a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but there's that difference in sort of your professional satisfaction, and definitely as a young professional when you're stepping out of university into a graduate job, you're always told about the pitfalls and the mistakes that Mm -hmm. other people made but you're never Mm -hmm. really told that 
you actually just need to like live it. You're just sort of told that follow this direction or that direction, always look <laughs> forward, but never actually look yeah. at like what you're currently doing and what that means for you. So I think that's some definitely very valuable advice um, yeah. for, <laughs> for all of us. Um, so yeah. to finish up, I have a few questions just for along that line of advice um, and sort of things that are going on at the moment. So obviously global pandemic, it's been quite hard. What yeah. are some things at the moment, whether it's a book or a, like some music, a Netflix series that you've been, you found very inspiring or uplifting at the moment? Well, I uh, had been told about this book called The Big Leap for years. And for whatever reason, I never bought it. And funny enough, I was just talking with my coach not long ago about The Big Leap. And um, interestingly enough, uh, somebody who was a guest on my podcast sent me the book just out of the blue. And oh, so wow. I literally just finished it yesterday. And it was super inspiring to me because it and and it also like aligns with so much of what my own beliefs are in terms of, you know, we all have um, a, a limiting factor, which is our own belief about how high we can go. And this book really helps helps to, you know, challenge what our our upper limit is in terms of, you know, we may say, oh, well, you know, nobody under the age of 30 has ever made it to VP, right? So we may we may just say to ourselves, that's not possible or whatever, you know, it could be any goal that we have, it could be personal or professional, but if we can start to, you know, recognize that we actually are the ones that limit ourselves in terms of what we believe is possible. So I would, I would highly, highly recommend that book. It's um, by Gay Hendricks, it's called The, um, the Big Leap. And um, I mean, I read it in two days, it's only, it's only about 200 pages, I think. Um, okay. But that's that's a great book. But in terms of like what's inspiring on Netflix, <laughs> I don't know. I have watched like a gazillion hours of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon over the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's. I'm, I'm trying to think what I was watching. Oh, I, I was watching something the other day, which was really interesting. It was a. Um, it's called uh, Motel Makeover, Ooh. and you know, I'm just a. I'm actually a creative person at heart. And um, one of the things that I always loved about marketing and I just love in general is somebody who sees something, sees uh, potential in something and brings their own view and, and you know, creative lens to, to a situation. And these two women that are in their 30s, a Canadian, they bought these rundown motels and they're not even like design professionals, but they just had a vision of turning these like dumpy old motels into something really special. And so I actually binged uh, like six episodes of that the other night. <laughs> so it's only, oh, it was wow. like 30 minute episodes. Okay. So it's only three hours, which that's, that's <laughs> so not a marathon. Not, not so <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, just being able to see them like meeting the challenges, like having a vision, you know, they quit their jobs and, um, you know, I think put everything that they had into, you know, flipping the, this motel and, and having it be a, um, you know, a revenue generating business. And it was amazing wow. to see what they did. Right. And it's, it's just super cool. And I think when you see people doing things like that, to me, it just makes me realize like anything is possible, right? Like we, if we can believe in our own vision and bet on ourselves and, you know, find fellow travelers who share our, our vision of what's possible, we can do super exciting and cool and fun things, which to me, that's what it's all about. Have you jumped onto any creative COVID projects? Um, let me, let me think like, what if I, well, I mean, I started a, I started a podcast. Oh Marky yeah. Mambo is Just my before, podcast. Yeah. I started in, um, yeah, I, I started that in, um, January. Yeah. January of, uh, 2021. And that has been, like super exciting. I've been on a lot of podcasts as a guest um, since I wrote my book, but I was actually talking with one of my clients who's a marketing um, consultant and we just were 
talking about some topic and she was like, oh, this is such a great conversation. This would make a really good podcast episode. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> maybe I'll just, you know, maybe I'll just figure out. Like I literally like Googled, how do you start a podcast <laughs> and, um, and jumped in and it's been so fun. I mean, I have, I basically have, um, I got so excited towards the beginning of the year that I, every time I meet somebody that I thought was cool, I'd be like, be on my podcast. And so I have enough recorded to get me through the end of the year. So I talked wow. to more than 50 people and oh, I think I, ha I have close to 40 episodes, I think 37 or 38 episodes out there. Um, but it's fun. I mean, you know, cause you're a podcast host. Yes. It's so fun to be able to talk to people uh, like literally from around the world. And it is, um, yeah, yeah no, I absolutely agree. When you were talking about that sort of creative outlet, bringing your own creative spin, I think I've definitely loved that aspect of podcasting, being able to have your own creative spin on it. And it's sort of, um, I was actually talking on another episode that I did recently about how when you're on, talking on a podcast, even if you're just like doing an episode by yourself or with someone else, you know, you're interacting with however many people listen to the podcast mm -hmm. but it's also a one-on-one -on -one conversation which yeah. is kind of an amazing feat to be able to talk to someone like one-on-one -on -one, but like so many people as many as it happens to reach yeah it, it really is I think you're you're right about that and you know to each person it is a one-on-one -on -one conversation or it's you know they're sort of in some ways, you know, party to a one-on-one -on -one conversation that you're having with somebody else. And it is, I think it's super intimate and it's, I don't, to me, I feel so honored and thrilled to be able to talk to so many interesting people and hear their stories. And it's very inspiring too, because it just makes me, I mean, one guy that I had on uh, my podcast maybe like six weeks ago, um, he, started an advertising agency but his um when he got out of college he just started cutting cutting people's lawns and then he oh. grew that into a lawn care business and then he like studied how do you you know how do you market and he got good at digital marketing for his own business wow. and then he ended up selling his lawn care business and then all of his well actually i think what happened was like his clients that he you know he would cut their grass for their business or their home or whatever. And they noticed that he had like a good web presence. And so they started saying, well, how did you do that? So he sort of started consulting on digital marketing. Well, and then he realized the that, yeah. And then he sold his lawn care business and started um, ugly mug advertising is the name of his, um, <laughs> oh, isn't wow. that funny? It's a, yeah, he's in Louisiana, which is just, you know, it's so fun to hear people's stories. I, I absolutely love it. And, I mean, there's, everybody has there's a story, story about everything absolutely I know. everything you'll find yeah. it <laughs> right right but I'm always I'm always like surprised and delighted to hear stuff that just it just surprises me you know and because you know every you can always have like preconceived notions about people like oh they're probably this kind of person or whatever and you start talking to them you're like wow what a cool yeah. story you know like how that's so cool how you came to that and you know every single person has lots of stories right so it's it's just fun to be able to live in that world definitely well I only have two questions left for you um what is one of the craziest things you've ever done like in college in a first year first job in high school something that like the first thing that comes into your head as like the craziest <laughs> thing you've ever done uh um that's like so <laughs> I, I, I t tended not to be like super crazy, but I suppose like one of, and this isn't that crazy, but it felt super risky to me was um, moving my family halfway across the country to take a job here in Chicago. Um, because I, I mean, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I had run into a hurdle at my last job. I used to live in North Carolina and I worked for a bank there. And uh, I, I went up for a promotion and I didn't get it. And that actually led me to get a coach because I wanted to figure out how I could do things better. I didn't think that it was gonna lead anywhere. Um, but the day that I found out I did not get the job at that old company, that day I got a call from an executive recruiter. And like about three or four months later, I had two 
two job offers and I was actively interviewing for a third job and I took the job here in Chicago. I never lived in the Midwest at all. And, you know, this was a great opportunity, but I was really scared because my husband quit his job. He was staying home with the kids. You know, I really had to lean in and, and you know, I guess put my money where my mouth was. Um, it's much more expensive to live here in Chicago than it was in North Carolina. Our house costs like at least four times more. And the house wow. is pretty much exactly the same. You know, uh, I think we had a four bedroom, two bath house there and we have a three bedroom, three uh, bath house here. And it costs four times more <laughs> than our wow. house there. Um, so there were a lot of scary things, but to that was one of the, I, mean, I have done a lot of crazy things in my life, but that's, that's one that's just on my mind right now that it was like a huge bet because it wasn't just me. It was my whole family. My, I had two kids in school. I had a baby, you know, my husband quit wow. his job. I had that's to really, really lean in. Feat to be able to like pick up and move your whole family. You're, I yeah. guess that's like, sort of representative of the pressure that you feel having to make that decision for all these other people in your family. So I can Yeah, understand. and it's honestly it's it also, you know, made me look deeply into my own heart to say like how much do I believe in myself? This is what I've been working for and I'm given this opportunity, but it means that I've got to make some hard decisions. You know, move away. We had lived in that community for nine and a half years. And we, you know, we had lots of friends and, you know, we had a nice house, our kids were in school and to say, okay, you know, are we going to, are we going to take this bet? Are we going to make this bet? Right. And it's, you know, we've lived here for 16 years now, so it, it's paid off. Wow. <laughs> it's paid off. You know, I, mean, I think that's youngest... a, actually, that's a great segue into the last question. Sort uh -huh. of, um, you, you can sort of fall into this uh, false sense of security that once you have somewhere that you're settled in a career that it's going to stay like that but you never know what's going to happen oh, no. so you know when you're faced with such a decision it's always such a jump um and leading into the last question how would you what advice one piece of advice would you say is like the most important for anybody who's thinking about changing career or struggling to find their passion, find their dream. Um, and even people who like my age were leaving university, mm -hmm. going into our first grad jobs, how, what's like one thing that you think is so important to keep in mind when making well, those leaps? Yeah. The, the most important thing to keep in mind is, you know, you're smart, you're worthy of happiness, believe in yourself and you know, do all those things that I talked about with the, with, you know, that I do in coaching, you can coach yourself, get clear on your goal, start thinking about if that's my goal, what are the steps I need to take to make that happen? You know, invest in yourself, believe in yourself. Um, when we fully step into the, the power and the ability that we have, I honestly believe we're, we're not stoppable. You know, we're unstoppable. Um, you know, because we can't fail as long as we keep trying and we keep getting up and moving forward. You know, like uh, there's there's a saying that um, I came across that I love, which is even when you fall on your face, at least you're moving forward. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's, wow. it, it, you know, moving ahead and progress is not for sissies. You know, just keep getting up and doing it, you know, That's and so you will get there. Actually, I was literally just talking to my best friend, who's also my roommate, where I was talking about this today, that when you're stationary, like you're not living because even like your heart's beating, you know, the neurons in your brain are firing, like something's constantly mm -hmm. moving. So yes. like it's the minute that you stop moving that you're actually like dead. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you, you were, when you were talking earlier about how sometimes people have this like misperception that, you know, okay, once you've become successful, like you're, you've got it made, right? I think that we always have to be evaluating what's going on around us. And I, you know, kind of going back to winning the game of work, it's sort of like, you know, playing any sport, like soccer is a great example, right? You have to know what's going on on the field or football, right? Uh, what's <laughs> going on on the field around you, right? You have to always be understanding where am I in context? 
you know, and yeah, you got to focus on like, if you got the ball, you got to make sure that you keep your eye on the ball, but also be looking around you, right? What's changing? How do I need to adjust myself so that I still fit and I'm in a good position here? Um, and that's, that's important to do because in business, it is very dynamic and things change. I mean, I've seen, you know, lots of, you know, I come into work and found out that my company got sold. I've, you know, struggled with a horrible boss and gotten a voicemail one day that all of a sudden she's gone. And then I'm like, oh, wow, like what happened to that heavy burden I was dragging around? Like she's gone in one second, you know, yeah. uh, stuff, stuff happens and changes all the time. I've worked with a lot of people that have, you know, worked at a company for 20 years and they come in one day and they're laid off. Right. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Right. But we can keep going. Right. It's just we, we can adjust. And and uh, in some ways that makes life more exciting and we can go on to bigger and better things. Absolutely. I think that's some great advice to, to wrap up all of the different topics that we've covered yeah. today. Thank you so much, Terry, for being on the show. Uh, I definitely I have learned so much and I'm sure that anyone who listens will be able to find some insight that will help them in whatever stage of life they're in. Yeah, Julia, thank you for having me.